Good morning, everybody. Dan Clarkson Podcast. Well, what can we say? Introductions aside as normal, but we can say Himalayas are calling, paddling in Europe, calling, paddling in the States, paddling in Canada, people are going, lovely, Norway, lovely, New Zealand, even better, people are out having adventures, Covid is uh, not a thing of the past, obviously, but it's opening the world back up again and people can go out and do their thing, and that is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, isn't it? So you'll notice that there's no cup of tea today, there's no cup of coffee, no slurpy, slurpy noises, because it probably does some people's heads in. Doesn't do mine in. I quite enjoy doing people's heads in. So I have got a sniffle on, so if I end up sniffling, then I'm really sorry. Right. But what we're going to talk about today, well, people have asked me to talk about the Eskimo Topolino, the Eskimo Spud, as it was branded in our fair isle you know that short two meter twenty rotund edgeless piece of joy made famous uh by eddie Sheppinger, who took the fiberglass boat designed and then moved it onward into blow molding and then you know steep ditch versuosos like sean baker pierce nesbitt uh, spike and it a bridge, those guys and girls uh, went and took it around the world and dropped it off stuff and got waterfall records and then blowtorched them and cartwheeled them and got into World Championship freestyle events or rodeo and hot dogging as it was called back then. I'm not going to talk about the topo anymore. We're done. Until I do a podcast based on the topo. But this ain't it. This is not a topo podcast. Sorry, everybody. This is about another boat. Another boat that's probably as iconic and yet way, way rarer. Way, way, rarer. Sound like Will Whedon. Right. It's rarer. It's much rarer, but in Britain, probably in Europe, uh, in the States, a lot of them, a lot more of them. Uh, it's the AQ. Ooh, I hear some gasps. What's the AQ, Darren? We've never heard of the AQ. Now, people that are my age and above will go, oh, the AQ, I used to have one of those. Or, oh, the AQ, I wish I had one of those. And people under my age will be like, what's an AQ? And if you're older than me and you just started paddling recently, you'll also be going, what's an AQ? And why is it really important? Right, It's well, it is important. It's a really important book. But what's really important about the boat is not the boat itself, it's the designer. Because the designer was one of kayaking's eccentric characters. I never knew the bloke at all. Why would I? You know? Uh, I just wouldn't know him at all. Because I wasn't in the States when he was knocking out boats. In fact, I wasn't in Europe when he defected from the Eastern Bloc. But his work and his designs influenced probably boat design up to and including, I would say, Corrin. If we are using boats that revolutionise the spot, because we know that the glide revolutionised whitewater uh, flat spinning technology and got the rules changed uh, for freestyle events because of the ease in which they span. Now, I know you can probably take me to task over that, 
but I actually think Colin's a mad genius. But probably not as mad as this guy that I'm talking about in the AQ. Other mad geniuses at the moment actually are Kenny Mutton. Kenny Mutton's loopy with what he thinks about uh, in boat design uh, and the way that his boats work, which means athletes like Annie Hall can do the stuff they do. Uh, and Scott, any factor, anybody that jumps in a OG or a sneeze, uh, if they've got the skill base. Not if you don't have the skill base because you're just going to crash and burn. Because the boats need you to actually paddle them and not float around uh, like a log on a canal. Right. It looks waxing lyrical. Let's talk about this AQ. AQ, right. Designed by a guy called Vladimir Banner. Like I say, defected from the Eastern Bloc. Went to the States. Made these boats. Made a boat called a Jetty. With two T's and an I. Not a Jetty with one T, which was a Snyder boat. He made possibly the first ergonomic seat in a boat. The way he made his backrests, and I'm going to say backrests and not backbands, this is pre-ratchets, uh, was just to carve foam. So the foam centre pillar in the back of the boat extended into the back of the seat and that became the support for your spine. That technique can be seen in later perception boats when they had the foam block uh, in boats like the Fat and the Whiplash and the 3D. Can also be seen in a lot of Kiwi uh, perception boats which had a completely different seat in them and it was a very similar system. The seat pan where your buttocks went were ergonomic and they were actually shaped off somebody's bum. Yes, I know, some manufacturers, especially those who make composite boats, uh, do shape seats off bums. But for some reason, Vladimir's seat was way better. I don't know whose bum he used, but it was comfortable for loads of people. The way that the plastic of the seat extended gave the hull some stability as well. It wasn't just a seat pan. And there was like a flange on the bottom of the seat, which allowed the seat to act as like a stiffening rod for the hull of the boat. Which is pretty awesome to think about. You know, this is boats made in the 80s, early 90s, you know. The technology was insane. But, so the jetty of the boat was a short creaker. Surfed really well, really rare, really rare. Probably as rare as unicorn poo. People that were learning to roll and struggled to roll got in the jetty and could roll. It was just a boat that rolled really, really easy. It didn't need outfitting so much for multiple users due to this ergonomic seat and backband. Surfed amazingly well on waves. And it was called a jetty because you can get it on an aeroplane. When boats were massively long, we're talking printing, slalom, dancers, mirages, spirits, that kind of thing, uh, you'd struggle to get a boat on an aeroplane. So much so that I know of paddlers that paddle these long boats and to get them on planes, they would take out the seat, take out the centre pillars and fold their kayaks in half or thirds uh, to get them on planes and then rebuild them when they got there, hoping that the creases wouldn't crack. But you didn't have to do that with jetty because it was way short. 
So it was a really good sort of shot, but not as short as the aforementioned Topolino. But it was short for the boat of its time. Right, let's skip on. Fast forward and all that in a sort of montage sequence. And let's talk about the AQ. Air Aquatic. There's very few surviving air aquatics. Very few. Because the plastic was pretty brittle and got damaged easy by UV rays. So they're really, really hard to get in good condition. Well, in any condition, let alone good condition. Uh, a few people ripped off composite models off the AQ. So you can probably find a couple of composite AQs kicking about. Uh, I know that back in the day, back in the day makes me sound like an old fart, doesn't it? I know that back in the mid-90s, Andy Middleton had one who then passed it to Justin Bunn, who was then passed it to somebody else at the bitches uh, in South Wales. South Wales, mid-Wales. I suppose but it all depends where we draw the line, doesn't it? To south to mid. Right, AQ. Why was that really important? It was important, I think, for me at least, and probably for my generation, because it was a boat that would do these insane pop-outs. <laughs> when, when freestyle, before freestyle was called freestyle, before it was even called rodeo, it was called hot dogging. And it said, stop stinging, stop sniggering at the back. I can hear you, hot dogging. Yeah, yeah, we get it. Nothing to do with car parks, especially that car park above Flynn Kelly that they're trailing. Nothing to do with that one at all. But it did amazing pop-outs. Like, really, really boat bounce out of the water pop-outs. And this is a long boat by modern standards. You know, it cleared the air. It had pirouette with these. It had surfed these front and back surfs. Had rails on it. Rudimentary rails on it. It had these acceleration grooves in the stern. To make it go faster. Whether that did or not, I don't know. And it was ergonomic. But it was a really photogenic boat. So at the birth of freestyle in the hot dogging days and rodeo days, it was the boat that made it quite a lot into front covers and magazines. Because paddlers dressed in their day glow attire looked way cooler visually in this slightly longer boat that got a lot of air than they did in a short, dumpy topo. Now, obviously, both boats were really instrumental, but the AQ was a little bit before the topo's popularity in that genre. Right, now Vlad, knocking these boats out, escaping the Eastern Bloc, proper eccentric, believed that the plastic he used in his boats were aligned with the cosmos. He designed his boats while sat in a crystal pyramid. He, to fund his product, to fund the moulding process of his boats, he maxed out 10 credit cards. He wasn't a big corporation, he was one guy. His factory burnt down which he believed was the American mafia trying to kill his design process and bankrupt him. And he was probably bankrupt today with maxing out 10 credit cards. But his factory burnt down. And by factory, I think it was probably just like a shed in the woods somewhere. <laughs> but it burnt down due to some chemicals being used and there was a fire and 
I got a bit messy. But he turned up at uh, to get his boat sold with bags full of burnt out plastic pellets with little labels on saying freeze dried kayaks. So he fulfilled his order requests. You know, people had paid for his orders. He fulfilled his requests by turning up with burnt out sheets of plastic and loads of plastic pellets. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like you turn up at a like a shop that's ordered ten boats off you, and all you're giving them is like ten bags of burnt out plastic and a load of plastic pellets with notes on saying "freeze dried boat, add water." I mean, it's just insane to think, isn't it, that that stuff happened? He did go back uh, back home to Eastern Europe in later years, uh, but the AQ got reborn as uh, the AQ two, the Aquatic two, which Dagger took on. Uh, Dagger took on the seat system as well. Uh, with a few tweaks, but it was pretty much the same seat. Now that's really cool, isn't it? It's really cool, really eccentric. And our sport relies on the eccentric nature of designers, of paddlers, to move our sport forward. You know, it's all very well and good people following rigid patterns but without the eccentric nature without looking outside the box we don't develop as a sport if we look at the Snyder brothers Jim and Jeff Snyder responsible were without a doubt for squirt boating their friends at the time allowing them as a collective to think outside the box stern dips stern dips were not even a thing like before squirting in slalom there was a little bit of a stern dip at gates but sleeping slalom boats weren't super slicey on the tail you know these are these are big chunky back boats so even to dip a back at the back of a boat in the cross current wasn't a thing at the birth of the first squirt boats You know, it just wasn't a thing. So people looked outside the box. They examined what the water was doing. They examined the sort of the floors under the surface floor to see what the water was doing. You know, like the down push, the down thrust, which allows you to sink your stern and all that. And then squirt boating becomes a thing. You know, and rather than a paddler sitting in a boat, they end up wearing the boat, and the boat is like a shoe. It's wrapped around you. It's custom built. And even now squirt boaters sit on the sort of niche end of the spectrum. Uh, I'd, I'd love another squirt boat, but I A, can't afford one, and B, don't know if my knees are it anymore. But it's, it's proper niche, but it still advances the sport. I mean, look at, everyone wants a half slice at the moment, and everyone wants to stern dip. Everyone wants to do screw-ups off the back of a stern dip. If you don't know what a screw-up is, you're probably doing them anyway, but you don't know the name for them. Or cutbacks. Everyone wants to do them. And you see people doing them all the time. But this is stuff that evolved from these eccentrics. Cartwheels. Freestyle cartwheels evolved from squirting. Squirt boaters were the first to cartwheel. I remember watching a rodeo, let's put that in brackets, video, from the Ocoee Worlds, 
and people now the Yanks are going to tell me they were cartwheeling they weren't they were doing two isolated ends with a bit of a pause in the middle to stabilize themselves but the boats were based off the back of a slalom boat at the time so that we're talking dagger transitions print hurricanes which obviously evolved from the squirt boat yeah we know they're longer they've got a bit more volume but you can see the evolution process and because we've got the two-point cartwheel there or the rotendo which would just be like a back end or a front end uh, staying back in the hole and now look where we are in the sport of freestyle we've got people doing wiki tiki taco flips or luda mcnasties or whatever they're called and it's amazing it's amazing what has happened in our sport in such a short period of time relatively short period of time you know and I, i've seen i've watched it and i'm not saying i'm some sort of old wide sage but i i've sort of i've been lucky enough to start paddling when plastic boats came in although my first paddle experience was with a fiberglass thing uh blue and orange made it probably don't know what mold we took it off but it was blue and orange and it weighed a ton and it had farmers twine end grabs and blue mandel toggles horrible thing uh, but i my first proper boat was a plastic boat and i've seen that evolution and it's a beautiful thing and the freestyle world championships coming to nottingham now personally I'm not convinced that Nottingham's the right place. It's the right place, don't get me wrong, it's definitely the right place for showcasing amazing freestyle on a global stage. Definitely the right place. The waves and holes are consistent. They don't oscillate with where weather conditions because you can manage them. The venue has got arena-based feel to it, so you can get spectators in there. You've got big screens, timing, all that, car park facilities. It's all there. It's got infrastructure for social media. Brilliant. It's got camping close by, hotels close by. It's got easy access for international competitors. It's got all the stuff that you need. What it does lack for me is that certain magic that you get from paddling exploration and such like, because it's on a concrete ditch just outside town. But all the stuff it requires to be the world-class event, it's got, and the guys putting it together, I'm super excited for. And it's going to be amazing, isn't it? Not just to watch the competition there, but to watch its evolution. So watch it from its freestyle hot dog beginnings. And this air aquatic that I've spoken about, where the pirouette or the pop out or the, I'm going to call it a back loop, but it's not a loop in the sense of a modern loop. It's basically just falling over backwards. Or a window shade which is basically just doing a roll. Uh, all those things. And see where we've come now, you know, boats flying in the air, clearing five foot of water, or whatever it is, you know. That's awesome. Absolutely awesome. And as Toad, the Toad Hall said, there's absolutely nothing worth doing as mess around in boats, is there? Wind in the willows. I paraphrased, but you guys can find it. And, uh, I'm not. I don't know, but it's, is it in the second chapter? Pipers at the gates of dawn. Oh, but, it, but that's about Ratty, I think. Ratty, Pipers at the gates of dawn, which is also Pink Floyd uh, stuff. Right, I've rattled on and I've gone off tangent, but that's all right because we're 20 minutes in. 
Someone do us a favour. Someone try and dig out an aquatic and post a picture of it. Especially if you can find someone standing up in one. Because that would be really cool. Because people used to stand up on the top wave, the bitches and the top wave at Nottingham. And I'm sure various places around the world, you've popped your deck, you'd stand up. There are videos online. Palm just released one with Timmy Thomas using an aquatic uh, at the bitches. Really photogenic. Uh, I think Joe made the film. But eccentric. If we can have boats in another 40 years' time or 30 years' time that we're still talking about, that would be an amazing thing. And I don't know if we've got any modern boats that are out now. Maybe one, two I can think of. But I don't know if we're still going to be talking about or even using these same boats in 40 years' time or 30 years' time. Or even 10 years' time. But anyway... It's that, that's the Monday morning podcast for you. I hope you enjoyed it and you can tell my enthusiasm. I constantly go shopping for aquatics, AQ ones. I don't want an AQ Duck 2. I don't want a Dagger one. Uh, I want a Noah one, a Vladimir one. Right. Enjoy your week, everyone. And if you're listening to this uh, and it's not a Monday morning, I'm really sorry about that. But it was recorded on a Monday morning. So that's why I wish everyone a good week. Have a cracking time. I will see you on the river. If you want to say hello to me and I don't know you, please do. That'd be ace. Ask me questions. You know the drill. Ask them in Podbean on the app. You can ask questions there. Might even talk about it in the podcast. Uh, ask me on comments on socials. I might even talk about it in the podcast. Uh, PM me if you want, if I'm bored. And uh, I might talk to you because I am talk to anybody on uh, PM. DM, PM. DM, yeah, DM. DM me. Uh, I might answer you. Uh, and if you see me in an eddy, let's have a chinwag, let's surf some waves, uh, and let's do some cruising around on rivers. Uh, it's a bit of a bit raining now out of my window, so I'm going to put a boat on my roof rack and go surf a wave. Right. Enjoy yourselves. Ta-ra.